Hey everyone, in the episode you're about to listen to there is some alcohol consumed and a little bit of swearing. It's our festive episode, so if that's not your thing, you might want to approach this with a little caution. Otherwise, enjoy the show. History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge, find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. Welcome to History Happened Everywhere, the Christmas special! (laughs) My name is Ryan Weir and I am here in Santa's Grotto with the one and only, the little Alphalof himself, it's Mr. Peter Goddard. Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho! (laughs) Isn't this wonderful? It's the most... Wonderful time of the year. There'll be podcasts and facts, and that will be that. I love and I'm running I love out of lyrics. <laughs> so I was watching TV last night, Peter. Were you? And on the TV was a, a small little TV documentary thing about a family called the Goddards. Oh, good people. These were Goddards who shunned normal life and normal civilization to go live in the Outer Hebrides on a little island called Rum. Rum Island. Rum Island. Got out of Rum Island. I think yeah. it's, it's the rainiest place in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have sheep, they have chickens, ducks, and themselves. And Must that's be pretty broadband. <laughs> they definitely don't have broadband, no. So I was thinking, would you follow in, in the rum dwelling Goddards? I'm, if I could get stuff delivered, if I could get a shipment out every week, I think I'd be all right. Good news, that's exactly what they do. They get a shipment every week. You can go swim in the little outlets that lead on to the sea. However, in the inlets are lots of little jellyfish. Oh dear. Yeah, so I don't know if you like swimming in jelly. Part of me finds it appealing, but jellyfish, different game, innit? There's seals. Oh, I love a seal. Sea otters and the occasional whale. (laughs) However, I was thinking, you would be closer to the North Pole and therefore be first to get your little stocking filled by the fat man himself, Santa Claus. Ah, what is it? It's jellyfish anti-venom, just what I wanted. (laughs) Actually, that probably would be high on your list. (laughs) Did you like my little segue? That That was excellent. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, why don't we remind ourselves? I think we should. I think people might have an inkling, but let's have a look back anyway. So for our Christmas special, let's roll back the clock and find out what the festivalator gave you last week <laughs> on History Happened Everywhere. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to pull the lever. All right, do it. All right. Listen to these Christmas bells. <laughs> Peter. That's right. Your country is... Wild card. Ooh, that's one of my favourite countries. Yeah, that's my gift to you. Well, it's it's the the festivalator's gift to you. So you get to the wild card premise uh, is that you get to pick uh, the country, but the rule is you have to pick at the very end. After I've heard what the other categories are and I get a minute to decide. Yeah, correct. All right. So, all right, let's find out what your time period is. Okay. And your time period is 
Free America, 1776 to present. Oh, that's good long, good long period. That's yeah. got a lot of potential. Okay, well then now to the Christmas-related topic. Here we go. Come on, festivalator, give him something good. Okay, feeling it. And your festive topic is. Oh, oh, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, so now over to you. You've got one minute to decide a country. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. New Zealand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. I don't know why I've done that. Santa Claus in New Zealand from 1776 to present. It's too late. It's logged in. I don't know why I did it. I feel regret immediately. <laughs> go so free america in new zealand with santa claus santa claus the one and only That's, or is it is that a good thing is um, it a bad thing we're going to find out over the next hour or so on our very special hhe christmas special we certainly are but first let's find out where we are because uh, i think you and i probably have an inkling as to where new zealand might be found but not everybody does so new zealand is also known as aotearoa Aotearoa. Aotearoa. That's the Maori word for New Zealand. It translates as the land of the long white cloud. I love it. Sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's in the southwestern Pacific Ocean, so it's sort of Australia-wise, we might say. Yeah. Uh, and it's bigger than I imagined, actually. I think because it's tucked away on the map, the Eurocentric map, it's actually got uh, 268,000 square kilometres, which is half of France. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, and the population, though, is just over 5 million, so it's not packed. That's not packed at all. No. Okay. And of these 5 million people, fully a third of them live in the city of Auckland. Okay. It's a mix of people. We've got about 70% are people of European descent for reasons we will, uh, well, you could probably be yes, but we'll find out about <laughs> later. Yeah. There's 16.5% indigenous Maori, mm-hmm. 15% Asians, and then a smattering of uh, 9% non-Maori Pacific Islanders. Uh, so language-wise, they speak English, um, but the official languages are in fact English, Maori, and New Zealand Sign Language. Oh. Oh, okay. Official languages of the sign language, which I thought it was a nice touch. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. I can't be that many people are right. <laughs> sort of native speakers of New Zealand sign oh, language. I love that that's an official language. Very inclusive, isn't it? It's good. Good on you, Kiwis. Well done, guys. And I know you like a good anthem, so should mm. we have a little listen? Yes. Is it Christmassy? It's actually, to me, it sounds like the anthem that we've heard so far that most sounds like it could be a Eurovision entry. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> set that up well. Here we go. <laughs> military drum there, a bit of a snare. That drum is really going for it. Yeah. I like it. It's very martial and military. I feel like I'm at the, um, what do they call it, the signing out? At the end of, like, a military... Yeah, changing of the guard. Changing the guard, yeah. yeah. Change of pace here. Drummer. Come on, drummer. Drummer's giving it. Come on, drummer. Have you ever seen Blue Mangry? <laughs> they put, like, paint on the drum, and then as they're drumming it, it goes everywhere. Oh. That's what I'm picturing in my mind. <laughs> 
God Defend New Zealand. Oh, uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? All right, that was good. Um, they have a flag, which will, will not surprise you. Is Their flag has our flag in it. It's the mm. it's a blue flag with the Union Jack in the top left corner. Okay. Uh, which you see in a lot of places. And uh, it has four stars that represent the Southern Cross, which is a highly visible constellation that's sort of symbolic of being in the Southern Hemisphere, because that's where it's visible from. No way. Okay, cool. Uh, but there's also another flag of New Zealand, which isn't a flag of New Zealand officially, but it's one that you will immediately think, ah, oh, yes, that's New Zealand, which okay. is the silver fern. This oh, the, right, yeah. The black background with that silver fern on it that you see. Uh, I on, thought it was a feather. No, it's a fern. It's a silver fern. Okay. And uh, it's mostly, I think, probably most prominently associated with the New Zealand rugby team. Yeah, the All Blacks. The All Blacks, a powerhouse of a rugby team. Sure. Um, they have a 77% winning record in Test Match Rugby. That's amazing. They debuted internationally in 1903, and since then they've played test matches against 19 nations. 11 of those 19 nations have never won a game against them. Really? (laughs) Okay. Uh, And the other thing that's really notable about the All Blacks is they they start uh, each game with the Hakka, which Mm. is uh, a kind of war chant and dance, which I think we should have a little listen to. All right. This is, unsurprisingly, from a rugby match. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't start, you don't need a crowd of thousands in the background. No. So this would be done at the beginning of a, a battle. So it's it's a mix of things. You can it can be a sign of respect. So if you had a retiring teacher, I've seen where mm-hmm. the class does the hacker to sort okay. of respect and celebrate before a, a, a competition. So war, battle, sport. So it's not intimidation. This isn't about. It's both. I think it depends on the context. For okay. the for the rugby team, yes, you want to scare the other guys, but you're just celebrate. Sometimes you're just celebrating something. Okay. I'm scared. Yeah, it's it's not very Christmassy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, there is more than one hacker. They, in fact, in 2005, the hacker that the New Zealand rugby team used to do was called Kamate, uh, and then they introduced one called Kappa O Pango, specifically about the All Blacks. So there were actually even All Blacks had two hackers that they Wow, it's really intimidating. It really is. And then you imagine them staring at you and making these grimacy, scary faces. They're not small guys, are they? They are very intimidating people. So yes, that's the hacker. Nice uh, Christmassy song for you. (laughs) Wow, there we go. I love that. Uh, Have you heard of Manuka honey? Yeah. That's from New Zealand. I saw a man steal armfuls of Manuka honey from a a shop once. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is quite expensive. (laughs) I I see what he's doing there. Everyone just watched as he ran out the store with a lot of of Manuka honey. Yeah, he obviously had sticky fingers. <laughs> so it's a dark honey it's produced by bees that use the flowers from the manuka bush which is why it's called manuka honey and the manuka bush is only found in new zealand oh okay and it's got a load of active compounds and so it's got a lot of antimicrobial properties that's why it's so valuable and everyone thinks it's amazing mm, good for wounds isn't it so Apparently, they say manuka yes, honey. You honey i don't really want to honey up my wounds but <laughs> i'd give it a go i mean it's one of the many options. I think I might stick with Savlon for Antimicrobial, now. Antimicrobial, soothing, yeah, and tasty at boot. But uh, it's the wasps I worry about. What about them? <laughs> They're just going to come for you, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Bad enough with jam at a picnic without honey on your wounds. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Hobbits. Oh, yes, of course, yes. J.R.R. Tolkien. Exactly. Peter Jackson is a New Zealander, and he was the director of the many Hobbit and uh, 
Lord of the Rings movies. It was all filmed, well, no, a lot of it was filmed in New Zealand. Yeah. From 2000 to 2006, New Zealand tourism numbers jumped 40% from 1.7 to 2.4 million. A lot of people think it's just because of tourism from the Lord of the Rings films. Wow, that's kind of cool. So that's a major part of your nation's industry. If that's a, that the number of people are coming in and spending their money because they want to look at the hobbits. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I think uh, New Zealand has a lot of great comedy. Do you? Got, uh, Taika Waititi. Oh, of what course. We do in the shadows, Thor Ragnarok. Piss off, ghost! He's freaking gone. Flight of the Concords, Jermaine Clements, Brett McKenzie. Yeah. Reese Darby, Rose Matafeo, and comedian particularly pertinent to today, Jared Christmas. Jared, Jared Christmas. Christmas is a New Zealand there comedian. There we go. <laughs> so, yes, that's New Zealand. Welcome to the Southern Hemisphere. Now, the time period is 1776 to present, free America. We've talked about this before, and it covers a lot of ground, and I'm not going to give you the world history of 100 years. So all I'm going to mention that is 1776 to present yeah. finishes on present, and it's Christmas. Oh, that's so good. So it's a Christmas present. <laughs> it sounds like booze. It sounds a lot like booze. <laughs> it's beginning to sound a lot like drinking. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a lot of bottles of it's beer. A lot of bottles of beer, but not just any beer. This is Spate Ale. It's brewed in Dunedin in the South Island. It was established in 1876. This goes way back by a guy called James Spate, Charles Greenslade, and William Dawson. 1880, just four years later, the Spates won a gold medal at the Melbourne International Exhibition, okay. giving rise to the Spates Gold Medal Ale brand. Oh, okay. Right. And I believe that's what we have here today. It does. It says Spates Gold Medal Ale. Can I just commend you, by the way? How so? Because of your spates, there are eight. <laughs> eight spates. There are eight spates for us to drink. Yes, sir. Very good. Um, now, I told a Kiwi I was talking to and who we will be meeting later cool. that I had purchased some spates and he was immediately went, pride of the South, mate. No way. That's great. <laughs> Apparently, this had a load of famous adverts in which a man lists these amazing attributes of this woman that he's met. Yeah. And then at the end says, she doesn't drink spates. And the other guy just goes, oh, it's a tough road to find the perfect woman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. It surely, I'll do you. It surely is. <laughs> so I think we should have a toast to our okay. New Zealand, our host nation. <laughs> All right, cool. There we go, have a spate. All mate. right. This beer is 99% sugar free, no less. It's, uh, it's a lovely sort of old school label, actually. It's kind of nice orangey. I love it. Yeah. Oh, cheers, right. mate. Clinky, clinky. Oh, there you go. that's good, wasn't it? That's fresh, light. That's nice, that. That is really, That's really light, isn't really it? Really good. Well done, James here's, Spate. Here's to James Spate. Also says this beer is 99% sugar-free, which begs the question why they left a percent in. Sweeten it up a bit. Right, so um, before we get on with the show, as it were, I would like to introduce you to the game we will be playing throughout yeah. the episode. This is a game called Naughty or Nice. So today, Ryan, we will yes. be playing a game, and this is uh, effected with the use of this, your naughty or nice token. <laughs> okay. All right, so listeners. High quality affair. <laughs> it is a hand-carved cardboard crafted, coin. lovingly, 
lovingly. On one side, it says the word nice with a rather filthy looking Father Christmas. <laughs> and on the other side of the coin, the flip side of the coin, there is the word naughty in a kind of heavy metal style writing. And underneath that is a horned, bedeviled fellow, which gives me the impression that this Krampus. Correct. So that is your Krampus. So you All flip right. your naughty or nice token. If right. you are naughty, yeah. well, let's see what happens. If you're naughty, if you're nice, you get a gift. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing I'm going to get whipped or something if I'm naughty, right? Well, you might get taken to hell. That's one of the options. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> okay, here we go. Nice! He's, all right, let's, let's get the first gift. This is a good start. Uh, here we go. Ooh, all right. It's exciting. It's floppy. Is it a T-shirt? Is it an HHE T-shirt available at HHEpodcast.com? It isn't, but I, I recommend everyone buy one almost immediately for all their friends. All right. There is a plastic bag, and inside is some hessian material. A cushion cover. It is a cushion cover, you're right. With a kiwi on it. A kiwi cushion, that is correct. That's great, I love it. It's like a silhouette of a kiwi on a hessian pillow. Exactly. It's going to look so, amazing. New Zealanders, the reason, of course, we've got this is New Zealanders are frequently known as kiwis. Kiwis. Uh, this is naming them after the bird that is found in New Zealand. It has one of the, we've discussed this before, one of the largest egg-to-body weight ratios of any bird. Uh, it has kind of loose feathers that are almost more like fur. Really? Uh, it's the only bird in the world with nostrils at the end of its beak. Huh. Why would they put it so far away? Well, it's got a very keen sense of smell and it's nocturnal. So what it does is it walks around at night, snuffling around, right. looking for things to eat, I guess, yeah. using its sense of smell, which is quite unusual for a bird. Yeah, it's more like a rodent. Yeah, it is kind of rodent isn't it? Mm. They're funny looking things and uh, I rather like them. Uh, kiwi fruit is from China and not New Zealand at all, but yeah. uh, it's believed it's small and brown and fuzzy and a bit kiwi shaped. So... It looks like the bird, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So that was Naughty and Nice Part 1. I love it. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Hey, right. while we're here... I have a Christmas joke. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cameroon jokes were a hit <laughs> last year. So I have a pack of cards here. All right. With individual jokes on. So I need you to pick one, then I'll read it to you. That one. Okay, that's all. Thank you very much. Uh, knock, knock, who's there? Santa. No. Uh, who's there? Well, we've thrown this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, we may have erred in the mechanics Let's of this Let's try one. again. Knock, knock. Who's there? Arthur. Arthur who? Arthur, any mince pies left? <laughs> Christmas joke. That's all right. We'll pop that in every time we have a naughty or nice then. That's right. Right. So let's talk New Zealand. Whilst you're enjoying your beer and uh, languishing on your cushion. Uh, History of New Zealand, it's one of the major, the last major land masses to be settled by humans. Uh, It was first settled by Polynesians from Eastern Polynesia. Wow, really? Okay. So basically, there are no human artefacts that have been found that date before what's called the Kaharoa Tephra, which is a layer of volcanic debris that was deposited by an eruption of Mount Harawera around 1314 CE. So 1300s, prior to that, there's no evidence of humans being there. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's really recently. recent, isn't it? Uh, they kind of had to migrate down through all the other Polynesian islands, I guess. I, that's what I guess so. Uh, so the descendants of these guys became what we know today as the Maori. Okay. Then they lived their lives until December 1642, when the Dutch made uh, an appearance. Uh, Abel Tasman. You may have heard of Abel Tasman. If not, you may have heard of the little island named after him, Tasmania. Yeah, I have, yeah. Uh, he arrived at the northern end of the South Island in a place called Golden Bay, but he named it Murderer's Bay. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, left. he took the name Gold. 
Golden Bay and turn it to Murderer's uh, Bay? No, I think he named it Murderer's Bay and it's since become Golden Bay. Okay, right. Uh, but I was going to say, because that's a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a bad mood. Well, he left after being tacked by local Maori. So mm. <laughs> you can see where he was coming from. <laughs> uh, so he sketched maps for the main island's west coast and he called them Statenland. Uh, that was the name that appeared on the first maps of the country, Statenland. Staten Land. Then 1645, and I don't know why, I couldn't find why, Dutch cargoers changed the name to Nova Zealandia, named after New Zealand, after the Dutch province of Zealand. Mm. Tasman left, and then there was 100 years of just them getting on with their lives. And then 1769, a British naval captain arrived, a chap called James Cook. I've heard of him. Yes, he visited New Zealand, and two, two months later, the French also came along, a man called Jean-Francois de Surville. Uh, he arrived as well. After this period, it was mostly trading and whaling. It wasn't hugely colonising. It was only in the early decades of the 19th century when they started establishing more trading stations and Christianity came in in 1814 by a man called Samuel Marsden. So then by 1840, you had over 20 mission stations. So people are starting to arrive. In one very significant respect, it's super sped up because as well as religion, they brought guns. Mm. Uh, the pre-European Maori did not have anything other than spears for their fighting. So basically what would happen was a tribe would get hold of some muskets and go, well, now we've got muskets and our neighbours do not. Let's go get them. So they, oh, would, wow. and they would attack their neighbours essentially and enslave them and kill them. Uh, and so guns became incredibly powerful. They were the, really the balance of power. You were either a tribe mm. with guns or without and... You can guess which side of the equation you would want to be. So this basically disrupted the balance of power. So from 1805 to 1843, they had what were called the Musket Wars, which is basically an intertribal arms race. Wow. And the battles resulted in the death of somewhere between 20,000 and 40,000 people, and loads of uh, people got enslaved as well. Right. And it really altered all the tribal territorial boundaries until eventually everyone had muskets, and then the balance was re-established and that yeah. kind of thing settled down. But basically, it was a real time of uh, turmoil and change. But at this point, they're still not really being colonised particularly people aren't sort of establishing settlement settlements there there's missionaries and traders and not a lot more than that but uh eventually colonization became a thing and the french were looking to colonize it and private colonization companies were interesting a company called the new zealand company hmm. uh, i don't know exactly how a private colonization company works presumably they you pay some the company and they set you up in a house i guess something like that but anyway on 1840 they had the treaty of waitangi that's uh, 6th of february 1840 british naval captain william hobson and about 40 maori chiefs signed this treaty uh, this is in a place called Waitangi in the Bay of Islands so basically the British then took copies of this treaty all around the islands of New Zealand to get all of the chiefs or as many of the chiefs as they could to sign and some refused um, or were not asked but over, eventually over 500 Maori eventually signed this treaty and it gives Maori sovereignty over their lands and possessions and the rights of being British citizens but where it gets tricky is what the British got in return for this which slightly depends on which language version of the treaty you look at the English version gave the British crown sovereignty over New Zealand so we are New Zealand now. okay yeah <laughs> the Maori version doesn't quite say that it's it says that the crown receives Kawanatanga which the debate is still going on today is arguably a lot lesser power than sovereignty over the country so it's potentially influence but not ownership essentially and the dispute happens today what did the signatories of this treaty really agree to so some controversy over that treaty so th at the start Maori had welcomed uh, what they call uh, European people which is Pakeha for trading opportunities in the guns and the, sure. all of that and then, that seems to be a common thing right yeah and so like, oh there, these guys seem pretty cool and they bring us some good things mm. and they go oh there's more of them and there's more of them and there's more of them and oh they these guys us... keep coming right yeah they want to keep giving us all this cool stuff and all we have to give them is like our pearls and right? stuff That's, exactly yeah. but then more 
more and more of them arrive, and then suddenly what happens is the demand for land becomes problematic. Mm. So you've got all these Europeans arriving, plus the Maoris who go, well, we kind of live here already. <laughs> so there's a conflict of results called the New Zealand War that ran from 1845 to 1872. So quite a lot of little battles within that. You don't hear about that much in our culture, do you? No, I hadn't heard of it at all, to be honest with you. The New Zealand Wars, that's not something that stands out. Uh, it was actually about n- at least nine different conflicts and wars. So this is sort of a, quite a distributed thing. But in the end, it will not surprise you to learn that lots of land was confiscated from the Maori by the government as a punishment for their rebellion. What a shock. What a surprise. So generally, this is not a great time to be a Maori. Disease, war, all this confiscation, assimilation into marriage, loss of land, a general, everything being a bit rubbish, really, caused a, a massive fall in the Maori population. So in 1769, you had 86,000 of them. Uh, by 1896, 100 and a bit years later, it's 42,000. So it halved the population. So then from 1840, you get a lot of European settlement, mostly from the UK. There are some gold rushes that spur a bit of immigration. And it's part of the British Empire, so they send soldiers to World War One. About 100,000 uh, New Zealanders served overseas. 18,000 of them died. World War Two, 120,000 New Zealanders served. So they very much played their part in the World Wars. And now, this is an interesting thing. Normally what happens after World War Two in the colonies that we've seen so far? Uh, we see that they get their independence. Exactly. Here's a funny thing. Nobody's really sure if New Zealand is independent or not, even today. The independence of New Zealand is still a subject of debate. New Zealand doesn't have a fixed date of independence. It just kind of happened. Just <laughs> no, no one could put their finger on when or how. So they don't, they don't have an independence day in New Zealand. But they, they absolutely are. I would say they absolutely are independent, but nobody's quite sure how it how happened or, or when, when it happened. <laughs> well, I mean, it happened, right? So, right? Independence for by stealth. So, uh, and then obviously New Zealand developed from World War II into the nation we know and love today yeah so that's new zealand what are new zealanders all right hooray time for a naughty or nice yay i hope i win all the gifts i do too okay here we go flipping the thing i lost the thing (laughs) (laughs) but it does say nice Nice. Oh, well, great. Give me my present. (gasps) Very good. In the interest of the environment, I used paper that came in (laughs) packages that were delivered rather than buying and wasting additional paper. Save the planet. All right, here we go. Inside. Oh, it's squidgy. It's a squidgy packet. Can you hear? It's Krispies. It's a snack. It's a snack thing. It's got a penguin on it, and they're called burger rings. So burger rings are... Full-on burger flavour. I was advised by the people of New Zealand that this is an absolute classic New Zealand snack. So tuck in, see what they're like. Just give it a go. Just one bite, apparently, according to the penguin. And the flavour takes over. The little little rings, you could probably fit them on your finger. No. Oh, yeah, they're quite small, aren't they? Yeah, you can fit that on your finger. All right, here we go. Do it. That is a good crunch. That is Mm. a strong flavour. It's beefy. Mm, That's quite nice, actually. I approve. Well done, Bluebird Snacks. Why do they call it Bluebird Snacks and never a penguin? Bluebird is the, um, well, yes, that's a good question. Bluebird, I think, the distributor, manufacturer. Hey, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Time for a Christmas joke to celebrate. Yep. Okay, Christmas joke. What did Santa say when the clown held the door open for him at the Christmas party? Ho, ho, ho. You're funny because you're a clown. <laughs> that's terrible. No, it's what a nice jester. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I don't get it. Gesture. Gesture. Oh, that is quite good. That's pretty good. <laughs> as far as a joke that you have to have explained can be good. <laughs> Christmas jokes. Natural comic. I love a Christmas joke. Do you want another beer, by the way? Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing okay here. Thank you very much. 
But don't let me stop you. No, I'm not. I'm on number two already. <laughs> I'm going to work my way through spates eight. Okay, so Christmas in New Zealand. So we've established that Christianity was brought to New Zealand a long time ago. We now know that a large proportion of the population is of European descent. So it's not going to be surprising to learn that Christmas is just definitely a thing. I didn't really struggle to find the people who celebrate Christmas. Uh, in fact, the first recorded Christmas service in New Zealand was in 1814 with Samuel Marsden. Do you remember him? He was the guy who introduced Christianity to the country. Okay. He delivered a sermon, fun, to around, <laughs> to around 400 Maori at Oihi Bay in the Bay of Islands. Did he do it in Maori, do you think? Or did he, was there like an interpreter? I think he probably had an interpreter. He didn't mm. feel like the kind of guy to learn the language. Not an entire sermon's no. worth. But generally speaking, English and Irish settlers brought their own Christian traditions to the country. Scottish settlers, being Presbyterian, aren't really big on Christmas, so you tended not to celebrate particularly. Huh. But anyway, people had their own traditions, I guess, is the main point here. It wasn't until 1873 that Christmas Day became a bank holiday. Well, so you were going to work whether you liked it or not um, most of the time before that. And that was following the Bank Holidays Act in 1873. That gives you a day off. And then in 1910, the Public Holidays Act further established the day after Christmas day as non-working day so right. really it wasn't until 1910 that you got two days off on the trot mm. although in america they don't get, have a boxing day do they so yeah i wonder what the equivalent is like a rest around the rest of the world that sounds bad but i imagine probably the case everywhere day out of the mine or whatever horrors you're enduring <laughs> <laughs> but of course what's the big difference about christmas here versus new zealand oh is that a question Spe it was oh right um would you care to speculate? I w well, okay. So I think I know the answer to this. Well, one answer to this, which is that it's in the Southern Hemisphere, which you mentioned earlier, which yep. means there's no snow. Exactly. Some, it's southern a hemisphere. summer Christmas. Christmas, the festival we associate with cold winter's nights and steaming cups yeah. of mulled wine, sleighs dashing through the snow. It is a winter festival. Yep. It all happens at the height of summer in our Amazing. New Zealand experience. So things are a bit different. It won't surprise you to learn the temperature has its impact. One of the things that's different is Christmas trees. Although actually New Zealand has very big pine forests. They have a, a tree called the, the Pahutukawa, mm -hmm. uh, also known as Metrosideros excelsa. Uh, and this is this is a proper tree. It's not a pine tree. It's like this spreading branches tree. It grows in coastal forests in the North Island. And it grows on cliffs, actually. But these are massive trees. They can live up to a thousand years. <laughs> wow. So you're probably at this point wondering how exactly it's a Christmas tree. And it's because in November and December, it blossoms in all these bright red flowers. And it becomes this really big oh, red tree. Oh, that's in cool. the Christmas period. Now, originally, this was obviously before Christmas. The Maori were aware of this tree. Mm. Uh, and in the mythology of the Maori Tawaki, a young Maori warrior was trying to find heaven because he wanted to find help to avenge the death of his father. And he fell to earth and he died. And these crimson flowers are the blood, blood of this young warrior. Do you know what? I knew that was going to be blood. It is always blood, isn't it? Mm. Um, so yeah, it blossoms in, oh, sorry, December and January, not November. But you're not dragging that indoors if you're living in no, a thousand-year-old tree. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> That's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, because it blossoms at Christmas time, Christian settlers went, ah, Christmas tree. And the red, obviously, is uh, a familiar colour. So in 1833, a missionary called Henry Williams is described as holding a service under a widespreading pohutukawa. And other 19th century references uh, describe it as the settler's Christmas tree and Antipodean holly. But these are big trees and go up to 20 metres in height. So you're, you're not going to see one in your house. So yeah, that's, um, that's it. It's the summer festival. Um, we're going to find out a bit more about uh, what it's like. But first, I think it's time for a naughty or nice. All right, let's flip that coin. 
It's nice. Doing great. He's doing great. Here we go. Right. This feels hard. It's a hard object. It's got two cylindrical things in it. I, I would say a can of something, a drinking can of something. So we're going to open it up. You just sing a little Christmas song while I'm opening, please. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, giving Ryan gifts. <gasps> here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa what Claus. What is this? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have two cans of what looks like some sort of fizzy pop, a soda drink, a carbonated beverage <laughs> <laughs> called L and P. L and Lemon P. and Peria. Peroa. Peroa. Lemon and Peroa. This is good is. lemony stuff written on it. This is another personal recommendation of the most kiwi things possible. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Lemon and Peroa. So why do you think it's called Lemon and Peroa? Well, it has lemon in it, but why Peroa? Is Peroa a thing? Uh, well, I thought it was going to be Lemon and Pears in some way, but right. it wasn't at all because Peroa is in fact a town. Um, oh. So in 1907, this drink was created. It's a New Zealand inst- institution and it's lemon juice with carbonated mineral water f- originally, mineral water from the town of Peroa. Oh, that makes sense. So it's literally the drink, you're drinking Peroa there. It looks like a kind of a root beer or something. It's got a brown, deep brown can. It says world famous in New Zealand. Exactly. It's really popular. It outsells Coca-Cola apparently. And it's actually a Coca-Cola company product, but it's, it? uh, it's they, a really top selling drink. Uh, yeah. So it's no longer just made with carbonated mineral water from the town of Peroa. Yeah. It's just made in the Coca-Cola bottling plant rather disappointingly. Mm. But uh, if you are passing Peroa, do check out the seven meter high statue of a bottle of lemon and Peroa <laughs> really? that they have. <laughs> seven meter. That's yeah, something. That's huge. Um, so yeah, let's have a little open and have a taste. Oh, that is fizzy green sound. That's yeah, like an advert. Yeah. <laughs> right, give it a go. It smells really lemony. It's a lot smoother. It's not sharp like you would expect a lemon to be. Oh, that is nice. Mm. It's almost cream soda-y. Mm. Yeah, that's what it tastes like. Ice creamy. Has it got caffeine in it? It does not have caffeine in it. That's really good. A success. Another success from the people of New Zealand. LMP. Drink it when you're thirsty. Maybe right now. So I spoke to a real live New Zealander, but not just any New Zealander, a celebrity New Zealander. Uh, We referred to him earlier. He was a a comedian, a chap called Jared Christmas, uh, who was, I couldn't resist. Obviously, he's going to want to talk to me about Christmas, surely. Yeah. Uh, He is, um, he was born and raised in New Zealand. He came to this country about 20 years ago, where he thrived as a comedian. He's been on our television in various uh, aspects. He's been Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Mock the Week, uh, Russell Howard's Good News, 8 Out of 10 Cats, Dave's One Night Stand. And he's currently doing Panto in Leicester, which we will uh, find out a bit more later. Excellent. I love that he's in Panto. So I asked Jared, what, what's it like being an, in New Zealand for Christmas? Well, for me, classic Kiwi Christmas growing up was a barbecue. We, my parents loved having loads of friends over. So we'd do a family thing in the morning and then in the afternoon, the hot sunny day, my dad at the barbecue, loads of friends popping in and coming over and just playing outside, going around to other mates' place. It was all really sociable and, most importantly, outdoors with a big barbecue. But at Christmas time, we, we had Christmas tree. We didn't have a real Christmas tree. It was all plastic Christmas tree. Loads of decorations. Uh, I, I think a lot of that was down to my mum, <laughs> absolutely loving all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, Christmas, it's... Uh, all the commercialization 
aspects that you know we have down in New Zealand. But I distinctly remember as a kid being like, why the hell uh, are we watching a movie with snow? You know, when that that is not Christmas to us, you know? I haven't done a New Zealand Christmas for 20 years now. So I'm desperate. I'm desperate to get my family back to New Zealand to experience, you know, a, a summer Christmas. That's amazing, right? So it's it's it really struck me that obviously what's Christmas to you is what you grew up with, right? So barbecue, beaches, going out, all these things that were just absolutely not what I used to do. But that's what he wants to take his family back to, which I think is rather lovely. And, and how contrary that view is of watching a Christmas movie. <laughs> what is this? How is that relevant at all to what we experience? Well, I, 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 I stuck on that as well. And I asked him kind of how weird it was to be surrounded by this snowy Im- imagery, <laughs> and but actually having this sunny barbecue Christmas. Yeah. And this is what he said. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we're bombarded with all of the snowy Christmas sort of stuff with with movies and all the stories you read and stuff. But, you know, a white Christmas to us was non-existent. But, yeah, what we used to do, what my family used to do, was we would do a midwinter Christmas. So partway through winter, we would have we would do a traditional Christmas dinner, have friends over, do a, you know, silly secret Santa sort of thing, just to get a taste of that Christmas at wintertime. So that, apparently That's this is quite amazing. a common thing to do in New Zealand. You have your winter Christmas and then your Christmas Day Christmas. Okay, so why aren't we having a mid-summer Christmas? I'm, I'm willing to give it a go. I'm happy to <laughs> yeah. crack out the Barbie and uh, go down to the beach. That'd be amazing in my Santa hat. I love it. So um, obviously the topic, I realise I've just been talking generally about Christmas, but we will be talking about Santa. But I thought I'd ask Jared as well specifically about Santa uh, and the experience of a Kiwi Santa. And he responded thusly. Certainly, you used to go to a shopping mall and sit on Santa's lap and he was dressed in the full winter clothing sort of thing, which looking back on it was fucking ridiculous. I think I think now there's more Santas who lean into wearing board shorts and flip-flops <laughs> or jandals as we call them. But yeah, every year sitting on a, a Santa's lap who's dressed for winter and just not thinking about it at all. And those blokes must have been sweating like crazy. No, because of the heat, not because they're pedos. But some of them probably were. Some of them probably were. Let's be honest. And I used to find it hilarious that Santa would visit New Zealand on his, with his reindeer and try and come down the chimney and stuff where most New Zealand houses don't really have chimneys. Yeah, so the, when I was a kid, there was a lot of Christmas traditions that I saw in movies and TV shows that just did not resonate at all. I mean, you've got to think, haven't you? Like back in the day when they were coming up with like the Christmas story for their kids in the Scandinavian countries, <laughs> yeah. they weren't thinking of New Zealand they were and Antipodean not. summers. <laughs> but well, it'd be interesting, actually, because we'll learn how they've uh, adjusted to that a little bit later as well. Uh, and I, I thought, obviously, we want to contrast what it's like for British. He has seen both sides of it. Obviously, he's been here for 20 years, so he knows a British Christmas. So I asked him what British Christmas was like, and he, uh, in comparison, and he said this... When I first came over, um, I came over in November 
2000 and did that very classic Antipodean thing of getting my dad to phone up his cousin who he had met once. And he said, oh, my son's coming to London. Will you look after him? So I got picked up at the airport at six in the morning by complete strangers. And they took me to their house. I had my first full English breakfast. I saw my first squirrel. (laughs) Uh, I was very excited. And then I had my first UK Christmas with them. And they, they went the full hog with it. It was amazing. And it was snowing that year as well. So it was a pretty incredible introduction to a British Christmas. What what blew me away though was everything stopped. We we're having a huge amount of fun. My my cousin had been given the weakest link board game for Christmas, and we were playing that and having a right old laugh. And then everything stopped to watch the EastEnders omnibus, and I just didn't get it. I was sitting there going, "But this is depressing. They're just arguing." All the time. <laughs> New Zealand, you know, you didn't watch TV at Christmas. You were out outside chatting, and if you got bored of the people at your place, you'd wander around the road to to someone else's house, you know? He just doesn't get it. Doesn't get it, does he? I mean, (laughs) soap operas on a Christmas day. (laughs) Really gloomy soap operas as well. (laughs) What could be more Christmas? I have to say I sympathise with his point of view there. I very much so. (laughs) Um, He saw a squirrel. He saw a squirrel. That's amazing. This is a man who doesn't understand the joys of EastEnders, but will go nuts over a squirrel. (laughs) Which I can respect. And a squirrel goes over nuts. And he got his white Christmas, which I think is a great little uh, introduction to Christmas in the How UK. cool is that? <laughs> um, so obviously, as we do with our guests, we say, is there anything you would care to promote? And as it happens, Mr. Christmas is in Panto at nice. the moment. And he told us a little bit about what he's up to. So uh, I'd highly recommend if you're in the Leicester area, mm-hmm. check it out. And uh, this is what he had to say about it. I'm at Leicester de Montford Hall doing panto we're in the last the last week of rehearsals and opening night is saturday the 11th of december and that's a you know panto is another christmas thing over here which i think is incredible because we didn't have it in new zealand and there are pantos down there but it's not a huge thing like it is over here and what i love is performing in panto and it's just such a family thing you know all generations of a family coming along and yeah, it's just amazing to see, and the atmosphere is incredible. And, you know, who doesn't love a bit of overacting and corny jokes? I mean, that's what we live off. That's literally <laughs> that's very much our stock in trade, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I found myself agreeing with him mightily. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so that was Jared. Uh, thanks again. Jared was very kind to give me his time, especially given that he is rehearsing for Panto at the same time. Yeah. So, and for um, those people that don't know what Panto is, Pete, what is a Panto? Oh, yeah. It's a traditional British, um, it's kind of a play, usually a sort theater of fairy play. Ta- a theatre play, usually it's kind of a fairy tale theme, Aladdin, there's a set of relatively classic stories. Uh, but it has these strange traditions. They're very popular with families, the family crowd, as Jared said. And um, there's these peculiar traditions associated specifically with Panto. So there is that the main character, who is usually a man, is played by a woman Mm -hmm. uh, known as the principal boy, I think it is. Um, The 
usually an older hag-like uh, female character is played by a man <laughs> uh, who is the dame. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're funny, knockabout kind of comedies, uh, maybe a bit of singing, and uh, you get a lot of celebrities coming out to be in Panto at the end of the year. And uh, it sort of turns theatre convention slightly on its head. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great introduction to theatre. It's just it so is. lively and uh, immersive, not immersive, but uh, engaging. It's good fun. Um, and finally, Jared was very clear about this. He didn't want to leave us without a final Christmas message. I mean, he is Mr. Christmas. He is literally Mr. Christmas. <laughs> and I'll, I'll sign off how we, how we would say Merry Christmas in New Zealand. Yeah, you ready? Merry fucking Christmas, mate. Good on you. <laughs> so, yes, uh, do check out Jared in Sleeping Beauty in De Montford Hall, Leicester, if you're in the area, and Ryan and I maybe nip up there and see it ourselves. Why Which not? is the panto, do you know? Sleeping Beauty. All right, naughty or nice. Oh, yay! Okay, here we go. Come on. Fourth in a row. Just you wait, see. Ah! He's done it. He's only done and done it. I'll tell you what, mate. Given last year's drubbing that you gave me. You're making an incredible comeback, my this friend. This is an incredible comeback. It is. Right. So. Give um, me gifts. Give so me gifts. So we were just talking about the having Christmas in summer. Yeah, 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 we were. One of the things that you noticed was the food is different. They have barbecue because it's summer. Yeah. Another thing you don't really enjoy in summer is a big heavy pudding or a cake. So, you know, we have Christmas pudding and Christmas cake. They're yeah. wintry kind of affairs. Okay. So in, Australia, in both Australia and New Zealand, mm -hmm. they go for something quite different. Oh. And this, sir, is your gift. Okay. Gosh, it's huge. <laughs> what is this? So here we have a Christmas New Zealand-ish pavlova. This is amazing. I'm going to take a picture before I rip into this. I think you definitely because should. Because this is amazing. This will be on our uh, website, hhepodcast.com. Uh, you can check out the delicious Christmas pavlova. Now I'm going to get a spoon and I'm going to eat it. Okay, so pavlova is a meringue base with cream and then fruit. I think it's uh, peat and raspberry in this case. Um, and and it's named after uh, the ballerina Anna Pavlova, Russian ballerina. Now here's the controversy though. Pavlova is... Claimed to have been invented by both Australia and New Zealand. Oh, it's no. a matter of some debate. Is it New Zealand? Is it Australia? For my purposes, given that my episode is about New Zealand, I'm going to side with the Kiwis on this one. In reality, some researchers have traced its origins really as far back as Austria-Hungary. Um, so, I mean, you'd say with the name Pavlova, it would be like somewhere in the East Europe. Ah, because it was named for the ballerina and she was Russian. Right. So, uh, but no, it was... Uh, Cleaned by both New Zealand and Australia, and I, I don't want to get in between an Aussie and a Kiwi on this matter, but... It's really good. Say New Zealand. So there you have it. Not a Christmas pudding, Christmas pavlova. You'd think in the heat, this would just melt. Yeah, I suppose cream and... Is, uh, you're dicing with death if you leave it for too long, I would imagine. Oh, well, yeah. It's very good, though. Should we do a joke? Yeah. More well. You want some pavlova? I want some spates, please. Mm. Have a spate. Thanks, man. And so it's Christmas joke time. Shuffle the cards. There we go. Pick a card. 
All right. Christmas jokes. Peter. Yes. How does snowmen get around? Um, snowmobile. They ride an icicle. An icicle. Oh, nice. It's like a bicycle on it. Uh-huh. I got my wife a wooden leg for Christmas. Did you? Well, it's not her main present. Just a stocking filler. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that, that one. That was a fake laugh. No, I like it. No, that was a fake laugh. I can tell a fake laugh. You definitely can't. Okay, Santa. Who is Santa? Describe me a Santa, Ryan. Okay, he's a jolly old man who traverses the globe, apparently, (laughs) 24th of December every year with gifts for children. He wears a red... Uh, furry suit and a big black belt and big that's black boots. Lot, apparently. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. That's the ones in the mall. <laughs> he has a big sack full of gifts that he gives to children. He climbs down chimneys. He eats mince pies and drinks brandy, apparently, and gives carrots to his eight reindeer, uh, which carry flying his flying sleigh across the sky. Been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he, he yells the immortal line to all a good Christmas and a Christmas good night. <laughs> that was pretty good in fairness. Uh, I feel lines. you strayed a little at the end, but uh, yeah, and he that has, is your And he has course. a workshop in the North Pole. Okay. Uh, that, was a, that was a pretty good representation of the, the Santa Claus, Father Christmas that we all know today. And would you say that Santa Claus is Father Christmas? Oh. We're talking about the same person? Sure. Yeah, I think today they are. And funnily enough, um, older people tend to use Father Christmas and younger people are more and more using Santa just as a, the main term to use. But they they are the same person as far as we are concerned today. But actually, Father Christmas and Santa Claus have completely different origins. They are two, or they start as two completely separate things. So they're not all red-suited, fat ho-ho-hoers. They are quite, quite different. So we're going to look at the evolution of Santa. And as he approaches and arrives in New Zealand, it becomes the New Zealand that we know today. Uh, So Santa Claus, we'll start with, who is a different person to Father Christmas, originates as a third century saint called St. Nicholas. He was a bishop from Myra in Turkey, a charitable fellow by all accounts. So there's a version where he leaves gold coins in the stockings of the children. There's a version that he drops coins down the chimney because the door was locked. So you're starting to see some of the themes, but not quite in the way we know them. But in any event, he was a lovely chap who was very kind. Uh, And the Dutch celebrated the Feast of St. Nicholas, which was December the 6th. And uh, they had a common practice that children would put their shoes out the night before and find gifts from St. Nicholas in their shoes. Clogs, probably. Very likely. So then the Dutch immigrants brought the legend of St. Nicholas, known as St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas. Oh, to okay. America in the 1700s. Santa Claus becomes Santa, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. And that's the story of St. Nicholas becoming Santa Claus. Uh, but this was a skinny Turkish bishop. This isn't a fat, red-suited man. This is a, <laughs> something quite different. Mm. But that's partly because he's also Father Christmas. Now, Father Christmas started somewhere completely different. He, he, we first see him, or we see him early, in a 15th century carol called Sir Christmas. Uh, he doesn't bring gifts. He shares news of Christ's birth. Oh, I'd rather have presents, but all right, thanks for <laughs> I mean, the news, I, I, I guess. I knew about it. So. <laughs> I mean, I get the paper. <laughs> but he tells his audience to make good cheer and be right merry. Wow, this is amazing. I genuinely didn't know there were two people. No, neither did I. I was uh, quite surprised by this. So in York, in England, there's a festival called Yule Ridings on the 21st of December. And disguised as Yule, carries cakes and meat through the streets and he throws nuts into the crowd. Um <laughs> 
This was banned in 1572 because of complaints of very rude and barbarous behaviour. Sounds like a good Christmas to me. Uh, The playwright Ben Johnson wrote a play called Christmas, His Mask. This is mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E, meaning a kind of performance festival kind of thing. Uh, In the play, there's a character called Christmas. He comes, he's got old-fashioned clothes, a long, thin beard, and he's called either Old Christmas or Old Gregory Christmas. He didn't know he had a first name, Gregory. Gregory, where did that come from? (laughs) Uh, He he brings his sons and daughters onto the stage, and they all personify a tradition of the period. Misrule, Carol, Mince Pie. Wassail, which is mulled wine kind of. Yeah. Uh, 1642 to 51, the civil war in England, the Puritans versus the Royalists. Now, Puritans are not famed for their parties, are they? (laughs) Uh, And um, they didn't like Christmas. They thought it was all a bit of a unnecessary fuss so the royalists being in opposition to the the puritans came to christmas's defense the arraignment conviction and imprisonment of christmas this what? is a story in which a woman asks the oxford town crier where old father christmas has gone and she is told the poor old man was arraigned condemned after conviction cast into prison amongst the king's soldiers for real for real uh, and then in 1647 for real real and this is not in a play parliament actually banned christmas altogether along with easter whitson and a bunch of other traditional holidays yeah that wasn't a good year no it was not good um in another pamphlet 1658 this time called the examination and trial old father christmas depicts him as a man with a white beard fur trimmed old-fashioned gown and he's put on trial for his life he is acquitted fortunately um that's like um a miracle on 43rd street or 54th street yeah one of the streets <laughs> i think it's 54 are you sure yeah it's not 34th street i'm gonna have another beer in a minute <laughs> Oh my God, this is going to okay, clatter to the end. It's Christmas. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, this old man thing, right? It reminds me of old man time. Also a father, old father time. Old father time, yeah. Which being at the end of the year, in winter time, where death is everywhere, you can see how there's that connection between the two, right? Oh, absolutely. A lot, a lot of our Christmas sentiment that we know comes from Charles Dickens. Just one book, A Christmas Carol from 1843. And you'll see lots of elements in the ghost of Christmas present himself. He's a sort of, he's got a robe similar to what we know today, but it's not red. It's, uh, he's described as being clothed in one simple green robe or mantle bordered with white fur. Okay. You're starting to see him come together. Mm. On his head, he had no other covering than a holly wreath, but he's a jolly guy. It's his genial face, his sparkling eyes, open hand, his cheery voice and unconstrained demeanour, and its joyful air. I mean, it's this feels like Santa, doesn't it? It sounds like the green man as well, which is also a figure from sort of mythology, certainly here in the UK, of... Uh it's old man nature, I guess. Exactly. And this green-robed, holly-hatted guy, you see mm. variously depicted in various ways. And so you're getting the ingredients are starting to come together now, aren't they? So that's the the other origin of fa- the Father Christmas side of Father Christmas slash Santa Claus. And then let's go over to America again to, to meet the Dutch. And the, the, you've got mixing people from different backgrounds. By 1773, in Rivington's Gazetteer of New York, it reports on the celebration of the anniversary of St. Nicholas, otherwise called Saint A. Claus. Oh, okay, I see. 1809, Washington Irving's History of New York claimed old Dutch families still tell tales of Sinterklaas on St. Nicholas's Day, and he was said to fly over the city in a wagon, so he's still <laughs> not on a sleigh, and climb down chimneys to deliver presents, so he's going to become the guy we know. Yeah. 1821, an anonymous poem called Old Santa Claus with Much Delight introduces the red coat, the reindeer, and the sleigh. It said, Old Santa Claus with much delight, his reindeer drives this frosty night, or chimney tops and tracts of snow to bring his yearly gifts to you. That's great, isn't it? Exactly. And this one, this poem has moved him to Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas's Day, where he used to be. Brings gifts to the good children and to the naughty, a bit harsh, leaves a birch rod. <laughs> to hit the 
get to be whacked with. Yes. Right. Just two years after this, uh, a poem by a man called Clement Clark Moore, which is a poem you will have heard of, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Oh, I have definitely heard of that. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Uh, and actually, that poem starts to really coalesce the Santa that we know today. This is where you really can recognise this guy. And that is pretty important because actually there is an enduring myth that Coca-Cola in some way invented Santa or turned him green or made him the way he is. Because Coca-Cola uses the red and white as their colours. Yeah. And yeah, and, the, and it's, a, it's a really persistent myth that loads of people think Coca-Cola more or less invented Santa. And it's really not true. But there is, uh, you can see where it came from and we'll discuss that in a moment. But basically, in 1863, Harper's Weekly uh, hired an illustrator called Thomas Nast and he drew Santa and he pretty much drew the Santa that then became the Santa for everyone. By 1881, he'd really he'd nailed this Santa. He's got illustrations for a thing called A Visit from St. Nicholas and they were really, really popular. And he's introduced the notion of this workshop and he's put him in the North Pole as his base of operations. Oh, really? And this guy, Nast, actually did more to cement this Santa oh. than uh, anyone else. But Coca-Cola did help fix it in the public imagination because in the 1920s, Coca-Cola began Christmas advertising in the big magazine, Saturday Evening Post and all that. And they used ads of images of a man dressed as santa and they that those images were pretty much the thomas nast santa so they've taken it but they run adverts across the country so now everyone's seeing the same image of santa so although they didn't invent and create this santa they took the santa was there and and made it incredibly widespread so i think that you can point to coca-cola as helping establish this current modern santa notion but they didn't certainly didn't invent him or change him they didn't change him red they didn't turn him red he was red before that in in many t- places but they kind of set him in a more permanent form you might say in the public imagination so in 1931 the advertising agency uh, hired an artist called haddon soundblum haddon soundblum yeah and he created a new santa and he basically uh it's the santa we know today pretty much it's the first santa that's got all of the shared visual language that we understand today uh, because this was the beginning of mass advertising mass communications so you know it just coca-cola just happened to be there at at the time where the communications was happening they were doing the big adverts and they chose this version of santa and that's the one that now everyone is familiar with but yeah i think the other thing that's noticeable is um even when coca-cola made changes to their own santa people would write in and go well he's where's his wedding ring gone was one thing that changed one time and they got loads of letters from people saying why has he changed so suddenly i think coca-cola almost represents this transition from all these different traditions of Santa are all slightly different. Everyone's got their own version to there is one Santa and this, and there is only one Santa. That's amazing, isn't it? That everyone sort of got together just around the globe to create their own version of Santa right. Claus. And you can see all the common themes, but with all the different local flavours. It's time for Naughty or Nice. Okay. this could be it this is the one if you get this boom you've nailed it really yeah this is the last one mm-hmm. all right here we go boom <laughs> he's done it <laughs> uh, it's christmas thing now it's a christmas miracle we're never it playing is. a game on christmas again because <laughs> we just this, win each time what am i gonna do with this bag of coal <laughs> <laughs> all right if you have a naughty child let us know at ajpongirls.com. <laughs> we'll send you some smokeless fuel. <laughs> oh, nice. It's a cigar. Or it looks like a cigar. It is not a cigar. Is it a chorizo sausage? <laughs> it looks like uh, it looks like sausage. It's wrapped like a cracker. <gasps> 
It's chocolate. It is chocolate. I love chocolate. <gasps> it's a perky nana. It is a perky nana. <laughs> it's a couple of perky nanas. It is a couple of perky nanas. Which now. also I think is a great name for us too. A couple of perky nanas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's a it's a couple of chocolate bars made by Cadbury's, uh, and it's got uh, it's got a little monkey on it, and it says banana flavored chew bar covered with delicious milk chalk. Tell me about it, Pete. Now I went online to find out the history of the perky nana, and I learned two things. One. It's more of the mystery of the Perky Nana because I really couldn't find anything about this other than it's from New Zealand. Okay. Uh, it's made by Cadbury's yeah. and a selection of people not from New Zealand trying it and saying it's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, but, you know, your mileage may vary. Here we Let's go. Let's do it. Here we go. It's very chewy. Oh. I'm not getting the banana. Oh, oh I've got banana. Are you? Mm. Mm. Oh, now I'm. Oh. Okay, I'm going to say I do not like that. <laughs> That's really sweet. Yeah. I mean, I feel perky. I do too. Um, sugar is coursing through my veins. I mean, look, I wouldn't buy it myself. It was fine. For a Christmas gift? Fine. I'd eat that. Yeah. Uh, should we have a little joke? All right. Got to pick a, cut, pick a joke. All right. Who is Santa's favourite singer? Uh, Mariah Carey. Elvis Presley. What do Santa's little helpers learn at school? Uh, have the, work hard, do long hours in the workshop, really long hours. <laughs> the alphabet. Oh, dear. Did Rudolph go to school? Uh, no, no, he was elf taught. What's the most popular Christmas wine? Snow. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Ah, that's quite good. What did the beaver say to the Christmas tree? Sorry about that, mate. Nice gnawing you. What do you get if you cross a bell with a skunk? A Jingle smells. What's green covered in tinsel and goes ribbit, ribbit? Okay, stop. Minsel toad. Stop, please stop. Which famous playwright was terrified of Christmas? Noel Coward. So, we've talked about Santa, we've talked about New Zealand, we've talked about Christmas, but let's talk about Santa in New Zealand at Christmas, bringing it home. Mm. Are you ready? So we've seen him evolve. He was two people to one people. He was a skinny bishop to a fat old man. He was a green robe to a red robe. He had a car and then he's got a reindeer. He's moved his date all around the Canada. So it's hardly surprising Santa develops in some specific ways for New Zealand. Yeah. So um, he's got a specific job to do, right? He needs to do it. So like the Dutch in New Amsterdam, we can assume the immigrants started bringing their own Santa traditions. Sure. Uh, but then things change up over time, don't they? Uh, so Santa Claus makes his commercial debut, as it were, in New Zealand in 1894. He appears in the Wellington DIC store, which is a kind of a department store, on Lambton Quay in Wellington. And that was the first Santa in New Zealand that we've got a record of. Developed into Santa parades, which were basically to promote the arrival of Santa in the store. As they no go way, for a that's amazing. They started in the early 1900s. The Wellington store, The Economic, possibly the first parade in 1905, asking local boys and girls to come and see Mother and Father Christmas arrive at the railway station. Oh, so, really? Who needs a sleigh? You just get on old train. Oh, five. Oh, so five. this is steam trains. Oh, yeah. This is early days. Oh, that's so cool. So I think that the train journey is, indicates the start of uh, some interesting transportation choices for our New Zealand Santa Claus, mm. uh, making reindeer look pretty tame. In the 1930s, Christchurch Trop called Armstrong's Santa. He travelled on an elephant. <laughs> you, you like that, didn't you? I didn't expect <laughs> elephant. That was didn't of all I? the things. I've literally spat all over the microphone. Oh, no. I couldn't control that. <laughs> It's really wet. So it's a big country. Aeroplane Santas become a thing flying around the place. Uh, and to top it off, we have a parachuting Santa. Elephant Santa? <laughs> in New Zealand? I know. None of it makes sense, does it? But anything to get the crowd out, right? Where'd they get an elephant from? 
<laughs> so I want to talk about our parachuting Santa because this guy was brave. Okay. Uh, November the 20th, 1937, for the Farmer's Christmas Parade in Auckland, they had a plan. A guy called George Sellers was going to dress as Santa, jump out of a plane, float majestically to the ground in full Father Christmas regalia into a large park in the city called the Auckland Domain. Cool. And distribute toys to the waiting children. Was well, he going to carry up a bunch of toys down with him? Well, I think the toys were on the ground waiting for oh, him okay, to distribute. Right, right. I don't think he took the sack. But uh, nevertheless, what actually happened mm-hmm. was the plane levelled out at 1,000 feet, which is pretty low. Everyone yeah. can see what's going on. Sellers stood on the wing. People on the ground could see it. On the wing? <gasps> Santa on the wing. He leapt. Immediately, strong winds start to blow him off course. Oh, no. He's like, oh, well, this is a problem because he's looking down and he's now realised he started to head towards the Winter Garden in the park. Okay. The Winter Garden in the park has got a glass roof. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's now desperately trying to steer the parachute away from the danger. Just yards from the roof, seconds from disaster, mm. he managed to turn the parachute, crashes heavily into the ground between two greenhouses, <laughs> narrowly missing two unsuspecting gardeners, <laughs> and bashing himself up pretty bad. Oh, so uh, he, uh, he gets up, he dusts himself off, he untangles himself from his chute, and he realises a crowd is approaching. Like, oh, Santa! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the chaos, Sellers realises his beard is all off kilter because of the crash and the New Zealand Herald said yeah. Mr Sellers meanwhile had found that his father Christmas beard had been twisted awry by the fall and limped into shelter to fix it before returning to assist with the gift oh, distribution oh bless his heart that's lovely this was a Santa who would not stop right no matter what <laughs> isn't that great and the manager of the farmer's trading company Robert Laidlaw said I thought I was going to be the first man to kill Santa Claus <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my lord. Imagine being that to dead Santa line in front of you. Parachuting Santa plummet to ground before the worried children. But no, it all end, ended well with him distributing the gifts like some kind of Santa Claus hero. Yeah, good for him. But plain Santas weren't just novelty, they were quite practical. New Zealand is a massive country and it also includes the Chatham Islands. These are part of New Zealand in the Pacific Ocean. They're like 500 miles, 800 kilometres east of the South Island. So okay. out in the ocean. Mm. It's got about 10 islands and it includes New Zealand's easternmost point and they even have their own time zone. They're 45 minutes ahead of New Zealand. Why? 500 miles away. Right, they're a long way away. So how's Santa going to get there? I mean, obviously he could get his elephant, but uh, maybe the elephant can't swim, I don't know. So so actually what happened in 1951 was uh, he got them in a flying boat with the help of Tasman Empire Airways Limited, which since 1965 has been Air New Zealand. You know I love a flying boat, right? Right, I know. I know you love it. And Santa arrives flying boat. The the newspaper had this to say about it. Uh, His traditional reindeer and sleigh replaced by a four-engine Teal Solent, Teal being the Tasman East, uh, sorry, Tasman Empire Airways Limited, Solent. Father Christmas flew up to the Chatham Islands on Saturday. More than 400 of the 500 inhabitants cheered him hilariously as he stepped ashore from a launch in Tewanga Lagoon, a huge sack of toys over his shoulders. In the three and a quarter hours, he distributed good cheer. The islanders, all in paper hats provided by Teal, consumed several bottles of whiskey and soft drinks. Oh, wow. I cream was donated by a Christchurch firm and carried free by Teal. From two brightly decorated Christmas trees and a number of brand tubs on the beach, each of the island's children received a present from the hands of Father Christmas himself. Never before has Tewanga Lagoon witnessed so many handshakings, expressions of goodwill and head patting. Can I just say, that's what I love about Christmas. The head patting? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No. Like, you look back through history, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that's dubitable yeah <laughs> a lot of normally we're reporting cruelty. on horrors aren't we and horrors <laughs> and for some reason as a culture 
we've agreed that even if it's just one day, we're just going to be nice to each other. And that actually kindness, consideration and caring is actually a beautiful thing to be celebrated. It's lovely, isn't it? And that's why I think, you know, it's everywhere. It's why it's the literally the other side of the world. Yeah, no from where it orig- origi- originated. <laughs> <laughs> from where it originated. Right. Um, so yeah, Santa, he gets everywhere. Good man. He'll travel however he must in order to get the job done, which you have to admire. In 1960, commercial Santa took uh, what was quite, for me, quite a scary turn. So farmers, the farmers get involved in this a lot, uh, erected a giant Santa on the front of their building in Auckland, so the farmer's organisation. So, so this Santa right, is a fibreglass and steel tubing. It weighed over five tonnes and was 18 metres high. Ow! It featured, get this, a winking eye and a beckoning finger. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> so. This thing, this this An was in nineteen meter eighteen meter high. This was in nineteen sixty. <laughs> this was kept going every year till December two thousand eight, when the costs that were they was taken over by charities and businesses. The costs got too much. They gifted it to the city. But I've seen a picture of this thing. <laughs> it's creepy looking. Right? Red light. So they green they, light. They gift it to the city. Red the, light. The city has a vote, and two vigorous camps form to battle out. They hate this creepy Santa, or this is a great tradition that we need to retain. Right. So in the end, it was decided to keep the Santa. In December twenty eleven, the Auckland Santa was branded world creepiest Christmas ornament and this giant Santa was finally retired in uh, 2020 when the cost of his maintenance was more than $200,000 <laughs> why did they do the beckoning thing oh. they could have just done the wink and that would probably the, have been fine honestly the beckoning they did uh, they, the combination fact, I, of those two things is not great <laughs> I didn't write it down but they actually turned off the beckoning finger <laughs> I guess that was just too much <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to do it to you now let's see how creepy it is <laughs> Yeah, that is super creepy. And the, the execution of the Santa itself was relatively creepy on its own. Uh, and you can, I believe you can actually see this at Wanaka's National Transport and Toy Museum. So if you want to check out a creepy Santa, get over there. So has Santa abandoned his sleigh? Of course he hasn't. Who pulls Santa's sleigh? So, well, it's not Kiwi Birds. It's going to be, oh, I mean, the, the elephants threw me, I'll be honest. It could literally be anything now. But I'm going to go with whales. Ah, well, that's a, ooh, that's a good one. Cetaceans. Uh, cetaceans, it is not. Mm. Uh, in fact, you were right the first time. Kiwis. Or well, it was kiwi, kiwi birds. A specific kiwi. One kiwi bird. So in 1961, <laughs> a, a songwriter from Gisborne, uh, there was a folk singer called Bob Edwards and a guy called Neil Roberts, they made a Christmas, <laughs> they wanted to make a New Zealandy. they wrote a song called Sticky Beak the Kiwi. Okay. This was sung by a schoolgirl called Julie Nelson, and it's basically about a kiwi called Sticky Beak who basically goes off on one and says, "Oh no, the reindeer have no jurisdiction in my part of the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the sleigh, mate." So um, okay. the, the lyrics go: "Now Sticky Beak the kiwi, that bird from way down under, he's caused a great commotion, and it isn't any wonder. He's notified, notified, mind, he hasn't consulted. He's it's notified important. old Santa Claus to notify the deer that he will pull the Christmas sleigh in the southern hemisphere." Boom. Sticky Beak, the quite aggressive Kiwi there. So um, this, I've got a version of this here. This is Sticky Beak, the Kiwi from the excellent website, nzhistory.govt.nz. Excellent. Here we go. Here's Sticky Beak, the Kiwi. It's a good tune. It's a cracker, isn't it? I love this. I mean, why is he called Sticky Beak? I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't talk about it's Dickie Beats' manuka. dubious past as a manuka smuggler. It's <laughs> <laughs> great, isn't it? Sticky Beats. Sticky Beats the Kiwi there. That was awesome. Right? So, and as ever, Santa adapts to local culture, and we've discussed that, obviously, the Maori culture is a big part of New Zealand life. Mm. Uh, so there is a Maori version of Father, Father Christmas slash Santa <laughs> called Hana Koko. Okay. He's been known to arrive by waka, which is a canoe. So as well as parachuting, elephants, aeroplanes, kiwi-drawn kiwi sleigh, bird. and uh, canoe as well. This guy will travel. Uh, he'll bid you a Merry Kirihimete, which is Merry Christmas in Kiwi. And he will also say uh, Ho Ho Ho, which I'm not going to translate. Uh, he'll give out gifts, as any good Santa should. Um, but there was, this is a rather sad story, actually. There was one particular Hanakoko who appeared in 2018 in the town of Nelson of New Zealand. And they had a Christmas parade. And prior to placing this Christmas parade was a sleigh with a Hanakoko, right? It's a guy called Robert Heroini who was this big red cloak made of feathers it's called a korowai it's a okay. traditional cloak which is really vivid red it was really beautiful he's got this big like a scepter but it's a big kind of fish hook that's the called the hei matau which represents strength and prosperity and fertility and good luck and safe travel which is all savvy stuff a yeah, wearer of a, a hei matau because it's normally a little, like a little pendant uh, is generally seen as a provider and a protector so these are santa-like qualities i would hmm. say but but rather tragically there was some people in the audience who um were very upset that they didn't see the santa claus that they were familiar with okay and uh it was quite uh, there was quite a lot of abuse that rob heroini came in for slightly good news is he was then invited after that it became a news story and uh it was like some discussion about the sort of racial challenges they had in the country uh, he was then invited to a much bigger parade in wellington to represent hanakoko again i couldn't actually find news that he went i saw that he was invited and i was hoping to try and find out from him you know what happened in the end mm. but uh, it was just a sad situation from someone just trying to make people happy and have a truly relevant icon for so was he giving was he trying to combine the two to create a new thing no it's a, it's a thing there's a hanakoko is a thing it's a it's a character it's it's a okay. character like santa claus i guess arguably you could say it's in the same way as you had pink nicholas and father christmas you right. have father christmas and hanakoko so i think you wouldn't be surprised to see them sitting side by side but yeah some people just just were unhappy that they didn't see the santa that they were most familiar with which right. is that's a shame given the history of santa having evolved from so many different forms well and that's kind of what i wanted to why i wanted to raise it here because we've seen that there is it was only mass advertising that coalesced this vision yeah. Yeah. there is only one Santa but actually as soon as you step start examining it a bit more closely no one seemed to mind he was riding on an elephant or leaping out of an aeroplane but suddenly because there's a, an ethnic dimension to it suddenly some people are getting upset which is a real shame in an age of kindness and you know consideration all, all he wants to do is give children <laughs> gifts right so yeah. I, I think it's a really sad story but I have to say if you can if you can get pictures I will put a link to some pictures because he looked absolutely magnificent it's, it's really awesome sounds great this big hook eye looks fantastic so I think for the record people of Nelson Hannah Coco is very much a real Santa. So, but for the more traditional Santa, we've seen Santa will get there one way or another by one method of transport or another. Uh, and the New Zealand institutions do their part to make sure he gets to the children. The New Zealand Air Force give permission for Santa to enter New Zealand airspace. Do they? They That's do. Great. Weatherwatch.co.nz uh, tracks or NZ rather tracks Santa's journey towards New Zealand. That seems a bit. That seems a bit much. Like, well, I mean, I get that it's fun, but you know, no one needs to be tracking him. Just let him get on with is it. Is this a privacy issue? Well, it's a little bit, right? He's not. He's not asked. <laughs> for that he, well he's got a lot just to, trying to do to his do. job <laughs> well last year um the prime minister just, not just a dpd the, driver you know, 
or your packages on it, right? Exactly. <laughs> no one needs to know. It'll be there by the end of the night. That's all you need to know. It's when he leaves you a sorry you were out leaflet. <laughs> <laughs> sorry what? you were. I was na- in the whole night. <laughs> sorry you were naughty. <laughs> so last year, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern gave special permission for him to enter without quarantine. Yeah, quite uh, right. COVID years. Good on you, Jacinda. Uh, and sometimes, and I'm going to end on this story. Santa just looks like regular people. In 2010, there was a Twitter user called WebSam, a guy called Sam Elton Walters. He put out a call saying, hey, does anyone want to do online Secret Santa? And hashtag NZ Secret Santa was born. In the first year, 386 people sent gifts around the country to each other. Okay. In the second year, a nationwide radio station approached and asked to run it. And he said, no, this is a community event. I want to keep it going myself. He does it on his own. Builds a website to manage the people. 696 people sign up, twice as many as the previous year. Year three, over 800 of them. Now, Sam's now taking time off to try and manage this Oh, really? That's great. Um, The rules of it is there's a limit of $10, so it's not huge gifts. This guy did a TED talk about it. It's really interesting. He said people, he got reports from people said this was the only gift they got at Christmas. Oh, man. People really got into it. That breaks my heart. He said he can see that some people have clearly just read people's blog posts and learned Mm. about the person and then sent them a really personal gift. It wasn't just his... book token then a volunteer made him a randomizer to assign gifties and then you could share a photo of the gift you got hey, so it's kind of developed any man who has a randomizer I'm all is, in for uh, it, yeah we're, we're definitely for it so this all gets a bit much for santa manager on his own and then new zealand post step in they've already got a letters for santa scheme and they say we'll we'll run this the secret santa for you so then that meant oh this is quite clever all the gifts get sent to a central location so you okay. don't have to share your address with anything you all the gifts got scanned into a warehouse if you haven't sent a gift you don't get the gift that was sent to you so if you're a bad santa and don't okay. send the gift to your anonymous recipient you don't get whatever was sent to you oh, okay so, so they partnered up with businesses who then agreed to cover for the bad santas and make sure people who didn't get a gift got a gift okay and the gifts that would have gone to the bad santas got given to charity no way it's <laughs> a great little system by 2017 there were 3,600 people signed up now sadly i checked twitter and i couldn't really see that this tradition was still going in this form but it did look like new zealand post stopped doing it maybe to 2019 i think but i did find some other new zealand secret santas so i think it might not be the same group or the same mechanism but I think the spirit hey, is yeah, alive and well. I think so. Uh, I mean, if anything encapsulates the spirit of Santa, it, it's normal people giving gifts to someone they don't even know for no other reason than to make them happy. And I think that is that is Santa, isn't it? So if you're in New Zealand wondering what Santa looks like and complaining that Santa might not look like you expect, you might be sitting next to him. Yeah. That's so that, wonderful. sir, is Santa in New Zealand in the age of free America. I love it. <laughs> Peter, I really loved that episode. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for such amazing insight into what I thought I knew. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know very much about Santa Claus. I, I thought that as well. I thought, well, come on, we all know everything. And then I was like, oh, I knew nothing. Actually, it turns <laughs> out there's a whole lot there. And who knew? An elephant riding Santa Claus <laughs> in New Zealand. Amazing. Well, look, it's that time, Peter, where we pull out the Dursalator. Hold it out. Because it's my turn. All right, let's see All what right. we're going to get. Let's see what we're going to go for. Here we go. Let's, uh, hey, did you, um, did you oil the wheels? I, I'm, I, honestly, mate, I haven't touched it this week. I'm so sorry. I've been busy. That's why it's making that weird noise. Yeah, it might be a bit, uh, on, sticky. Okay, here we go. And my country is? It's Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. <laughs> it's Azerbaijan. All right, we're going to start the the new year with an A named country. Yeah, Maybe alpha- this is going to be alphabetized. Alphabetically sound, at least. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I guess it's all about the year, right? It is. It is. And your time period is seven hundred to eight hundred CE. I'm not sure how to feel about. I that. mean. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so the 8th century yeah, in one Azerbaijan. Of the, one of the great Azerbaijan centuries. It really is. I'm okay, sure. and what's the topic? The topic, metal. Metal. Yes, the music genre specifically. That's recovered it a little bit. <laughs> that helps, hasn't it? The music. Heavy <laughs> <laughs> metal in Azerbaijan. No, it's metal it specifically. Is metal. It okay, is. Okay, good. So metal in Azerbaijan during 700 to 800 CE. I think that's a good way to start 2022. Give me an A. Azerbaijan. <laughs> okay, so Azerbaijan, 700 to 800 CE, metal. Done. Piece of cake. Easy. Okay, so, Pete, you know what? It's the end of the year. And you know what happens at the end of the year? I don't. We have our end of the year quiz. Do we? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, we look back... <laughs> over the past year, over the past 40 episodes, Ooh. covering everything from every episode we've done in the quiz of the year. Wow, this sounds Who like high stakes stuff. Who will remember most stuff? Who will remember anything? <laughs> this could be quite embarrassing, but I'm up for it. All right, so that is it. Pete, I just want to say again, what a fantastic little Christmas show. I've had gifts, we've had Santa stories, I learned about New Zealand. It's been... It's been amazing. It's been an episode. <laughs> We've had Jared Christmas. We have. What a great guy. Thanks again, Jared. That was really amazing. It was really good. Um, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any other thing we've talked about on the show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com, or you can email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. And you never know, if you talk to us, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future show is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast and uh, subscribe to them. You'll get an alert every time we post one of our little one minute animated videos. And we're going to be back in soon, as we said, with Paul Dursley and The Verdict. In the meantime, if you can't get enough of the show, you can check out the back catalogue of episodes, which you can find in your podcast app or YouTube or the website HHEPodcast.com. So that's it. So a huge thank you to Mr. Peter Goddard. Thanks to you, Ryan. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History Happened Everywhere. Holy night in the night all is bright in the night. Oh, hey, Ryan, where are you up to? Uh, hey, Pete, um, I just, uh, I'm just rehearsing for carol singing tonight. For the, you're going carol singing tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going door to door. I'm going to cheer people up with my song. I mean, I mean, tunefully, it was spot on, to be Thanks, honest, man. But um, lyrically, you think you've got that really nailed? Yeah. You, you, where did you get those, those lyrics from? Oh, um, it's like jazz carol singing. Oh, do you know what, mate? I, I, what? I don't think I, I don't really want to do a sketch at the end like this. Oh, okay, okay. It's a Christmas episode. I think we should be sincere to our listeners. Oh, I, uh, yeah. Well, why don't you, you know, let's just talk to our listeners. All right, well, I, I just want to say to everyone who's listened and supported us in the last year and more that we've been doing this, we really appreciate you being out there and texting us and emailing us and communicating with us and letting us know that what we're doing is important to you. That it keeps us going. 
and we really appreciate you. And in this Christmas season, we hope you have an absolutely fantastic festive season and an excellent new year. Yeah, you see, the problem is, is that because you've done that in, like, the joke bit, like, you know, where we didn't normally do a sketch, it just sounds kind of insincere or, well, I mean, a bit sarcastic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, see what, I see what you mean. Um, why, right. why don't you try it again? Just, like, you know, really give it more emphasis. Just more so everyone knows really how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, okay, listeners, I hope you have a really nice Christmas and an amazing new year, and it just is really brilliant. All the gifts. And you have loads of gifts and everything's great. So much fun, yeah. Yeah. I can't, no, it's almost felt worse, to be honest. Did it? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what we should do then? There's literally w- only one person who could do what we want to send a sincere, warm, heartfelt message for this festive time. I, I know, know exactly, exactly who, who you mean. mean. Judge, Judge Dursley. Dursley. God. Merry Christmas and a crappy New Year. Yeah, that was good. Oh, he nailed it, didn't he? That was that was perfect. That was great. Holy night, silent night, eating cheese on the roof, up all night doing nights. I'm so bright, sit here in these nights. <laughs> we just fade that out. <laughs> to all a good Christmas and a Christmas good night. <laughs>